Welcome to another episode of Chalk Talk. In this episode, we're at Sky 2022 sitting down with doctors Suzanne Barron, Dawn Abbott, Nadia Sutton, and Alexander Lansky to discuss some of the things they're most excited about as females in the interventional cardiology field today and some of the new research coming out at Sky 2022. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for listening. I'm really excited to uh, be doing this podcast today. So I'll just get right into it. The momentum going into 2022, focusing on female interventionalists and patients have never been stronger. What are you most excited about in the interventional space today? I'll start with you, Dr. Lansky. Well, thank you very much, uh, Suzanne. I think there are lots of very exciting things going on. First of all, a lot of um, evidence coming out in um, sex-based outcomes uh, from different um, studies. We've just uh, published our guidance document. It's not a guidance document. It's a consensus document that was uh, just published in JSKY that really outlines um, across the spectrum of ischemic coronary syndromes and lesion-specific, patient-specific um, considerations and, and outlines the knowns and the unknowns and the areas where the outcomes in female patients actually um, uh, different from what the guidance documents um, suggest. Um, there's a lot of initiatives within Sky uh, and SkyWin where we're um, really excited to, to start uh, new initiatives trying to um, boost the number of patients, be, female patients being enrolled in clinical studies. That's just to name a few. I think it's really important. We know that uh, women are traditionally underrepresented in clinical trials, and so initiatives to try to increase that's you know, certainly an important thing. Um, Dr. Abbott, how do you think we can do a better job of getting our women into our women patients into these clinical trials? What are some things that we can do as physicians and as the medical community? There are so many approaches we can use. We shouldn't just stick to one strategy. Um, on the physician level, having more women trained as principal and get investigators and becoming experts in uh, leading and participating in trials, um, both to help um, encourage their own female patients to participate, but also in the design of trials. I think we need to step back and look at what we're asking of trial participants in terms of um, uh, the degree and complexity of follow-up, and a lot of times the women uh, can't, you know, they're doing so many other things that they, they don't take time for themselves or, or for women as a whole to contribute to the science. So we have to look at uh, simplifying trial participation, uh, looking at the barriers on that level, training more women to become investigators, and really like from start to finish. And I know, Alexandra, you're working with a group that's specifically addressing those challenges. Right. Well, actually, <clears throat> we're very thrilled because um, we've been working uh, with uh, Advamed and FDA now for several years, and we have finally announced um, at Sky Sessions uh, just today that um, they will be coming in and working and teaming up with the Sky Win Group. Um, the, the whole focus of that um, collaboration is really to boost uh, patient enrollment. But, but as you said, Don, I think it's really multi-pronged. Uh, it's really dealing with education, um, awareness, um, clinical trials, the protocols, trying to address some of the issues uh, and the barriers for <clears throat> bringing uh, female patients 
into the studies. And most exciting of all is, is um, physician training. And, and exactly as you said, it's training uh, female interventionalists on how to be a PI, what's expected, um, how to bring them into the, um, the trial leadership on the executive committees, et cetera. And I think that's going to be, I'm very excited about that. We do have a commitment from our uh, industry sponsors that they are going to pull in our female colleagues into PI roles, et cetera. So very, very exciting um, things to look forward to. Well, I think that really speaks to the idea that this takes a village. It really can't just be, you know, the female interventionalists or the female physicians working on this issue. It really does have to be all of the stakeholders, men and women, physicians, industry, um, and, you know, and regulatory uh, agencies to really kind of tackle this issue. Um, Dr. Sutton, uh, you know, as one of the incoming chairs of the Skywin uh, group, which uh, I know we're all really excited that that you'll be in this role, um, you know, what are your thoughts about how in the year going forward, what are some of the initiatives that, that you'd like to kind of see pursued to, to address these issues? Well, um, first of all, thank you so much for the invitation to be here and talking with you guys. I'm just honored to be um, with the three of you guys who I hold in very high esteem. So um, I think that we have a lot of great things in the pipeline. I think it's a very energizing time right now to be um, a woman in interventional cardiology. I think there's been a lot of recognition um, of the promise that um, you know women bring to the field in terms of you know, their skill sets and um, passion for taking care of patients and education and research. Um, so I think that that is reflected in our committee, um, the individuals who are, um, you know, volunteering their time with Skywin to um, take on, you know, leadership positions within various um, subcommittees, including career development, education, um, publications, and, you know, really making it an impactful uh, committee and, and um, sort of part of the Sky organization. So, I mean, I think some of the things that we've already started talking about, you know, that I'm really excited about are, you know, this idea of, um, you know, working on training individuals to have these more, you know, advanced skill sets in terms of um, clinical trial, you know, execution, um, doing a, a great job is, is certainly a good way to be a beacon to others in the pipeline. Um, and, um, you know, things like our career development committee um, and our mentoring committee. So that's a big piece, you know, with Skywind right now is we have a really wonderful mentoring program for individuals who are um, potentially in fellowship or even you know, earlier on who are interested in the wonderful field of interventional cardiology and why wouldn't they because it's an awesome field. So lots of great things in the pipeline. I really, I, I'm really also, I, you mentioned it, I'm very excited about the mentorship program. I think that that's an incredible thing um, that is, is starting up because I think as a lot of us will know, you know, often we are the only female interventionalist at our institution and you end up feeling very siloed. Um, so being able to, first of all, connect with other uh, female interventionalists um, and then also be able to mentor and provide role models and advice or just a community um, for um, folks who are coming up through the pipeline, I think is, is an incredibly important thing and, and a really important part of the program. So speaking of, of SkyWin, we just finished uh, the Sky Scientific Sessions 2022. Um, you know, what's, uh, what were some of the highlights uh, for you guys uh, during this? Was there any sort of um, uh, sex-based uh, sessions that you attended or things that you kind of found interesting? Well, Alexandra uh, presented the one-year data on the um, <clears throat> IVL shockwave 
trial, which was really exciting to see sustained benefits uh, in both women and men treated with that device. Um, because one of the things I wanted to highlight, which I've noticed over my career, is that we were always focusing on coronary disease and trying to get women in coronary disease trials, which is of utmost importance. But now that we're studying diseases that are more highly prevalent in women, we're seeing more women in trials. So when you look at structural heart disease trials and outcomes, there's often an equal number of men and women. So a lot of the data we're seeing coming out at Sky, looking at outcomes of say, um, different procedures of TAVR or mitral or atrial appendage occlusion have a very high percentage of women. So even without um, delving into the granular data, uh, it's really nice to see that the, the inclusiveness is increased in those subspecialties. And also looking at some things that were presented you know, recently, even at ACC, new studies on ANOCA, which have never been published before, really looking at the gaps and we just don't know how to treat these individuals and what we think would be a good therapy, such as like a calcium channel blocker may not be the, the you know, treatment that solves everything. So it's really, really exciting to see. So um, Suzanne, today we had a late breaking trial that was uh, presented by um, uh, Odami Keseda. Absolutely wonderful. This is from the NACME registry. Uh, and it's looking at sex-based differences in patients presenting with STEMI with COVID. Absolutely fascinating. Um, I think this is going to be, you know, a, a wealth of information to try and understand what's going on in this patient population. But just to give you the highlights of this, so it was close to 600 patients, of course, a quarter of the patient being female, pretty, pretty typical. Um, mortality rates was, were high, as we would expect, about 30%. It was similar between men and women. Uh, but, but the striking thing from uh, those results was that um, there was no culprit in about 33% of female patients compared to only 18% of patients. So clearly there's, you know, whatever's going on with COVID and STEMI is, is really leading to some other mechanism, mechanisms underlying STEMI and um, obviously negatively impacting um, outcomes and mortality. So they are currently in the process of, you know, evaluating angiograms and better understanding sort of the underlying pathophysiology, but uh, really tremendous work. Um, you know, they were able to, to capture these patients at the very early stage of the pandemic um, and uh, really, you know, very impressive um, data set. So that was very exciting today. I think it's another aspect of, you know, we talk about long COVID um, that, you know, things that you wouldn't necessarily predict um, was going to come out of, of this virus, but something that, that we're seeing and also really exciting that we're learning more about it and also looking for those, those, those sex-based differences. What about you, Dr. Sutton? Um, well, one of the things that I um, looked forward to the most, and um, that was a really wonderful experience, was the was the Skywind professional development and networking event, um, in which we um, essentially had sort of different, um, you know, um, breakout groups on academic medicine, private practice, subspecialty training, um, and some case pres presentations from really outstanding um, operators and. It's just such a um, really nice um, thing to be able to get together with um, other women in the field and to share experiences 
because um, I think sometimes our experiences are unique. And um, it, I think it just, um, it's just, it's fun. And I think it's also, you know, we sometimes will underestimate the importance of some of these informal, you know, um, conversations that happen, um, you know, outside of the formal, you know, lecture hall at some of these networking um, events and scientific sessions. So I thought that was really great. We're, you know, and I'll throw this, this question just out to the group and whoever wants to kind of jump in, you know, we, we've certainly come so far in the field of interventional cardiology in the last, you know, 20 years when we think about advent of drug-eluting stents and, and TAVR, left atrial appendage occlusion. But yet I feel like there's so much more that we need to do. And, and one of the things that you touched on, on Dr. Abbott, was that there's so many things that, you know, Inoka, Minoka, that are these, these uh, conditions that are, you know, more female predominant that we just don't know. There's so many gaps of knowledge. So what, and I won't make you guys pick one thing because that's not really fair, but what, what do you feel should be some of the priorities for the next 10 years? As we think about, you know, our careers for the next 10 years, what should the priorities be from a research standpoint looking into some of these issues? Um, and what should we be encouraging the, the next generation of, of interventional cardiologists, both men and women, to be thinking about with regards to this? So I'll take the lead on that. Um, so in our consensus document, um, as you will recall, what we did was going through all the various syndromes and lesion, et cetera, um, for each section, we highlight some of the gaps. And if you go to that document, that is, I mean, all you have to do is, is read the document, the bullet points, and we're telling um, where the gaps are. Um, in terms of priorities in my uh, mind, um, the, there's questions about physiology and whether the same threshold should be used in women as in men. There's plenty of evidence now, very consistent, telling us that the um, FFR threshold may not be the same in, in female patients. So I think we need to validate that. There is some ongoing work, uh, at least from our group at Yale, collaboration between uh, Elisa Alton and Javier Eskened. Um, to try and validate that. So I think that's one big area that's important. The other area that has really bugged me for some time now is this whole issue of multivessel disease and what is the best treatment. The evidence is contradicts what our guidelines are telling us in female patients. And I, and I think that it's really an artifact of underrepresentation in the clinical studies, the randomized trials of bypass surgery to multivessel TCI, women don't want to go to surgery. They don't. And I don't think they're being recruited. So I don't think that we have, you know, the, the evidence that we need. But what um, the randomized trials tell us is that you, if you're a woman, you've got multivessel disease, despite the fact that you have a lower syntax score, we, we know that women have less extensive coronary disease they still do better with bypass surgery. And so, you know, I think we need to build that evidence. We need randomized data from, you know, that cohort of patients. I think I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, and I think all of us can say in our practice, we're seeing more and more complex data, more and more patients coming with multivessel disease. You know, the, we're not seeing single vessel disease as much as, as I think we used to. And this is going to just become more and more of a, of, of a, of a serious and prominent issue. Yeah, um, from our document, I was really struck by the differences in shock outcomes as another um, really important point to emphasize because you're talking about a condition where the mortality remains about 
And if there are delays in getting mechanical circulatory support that are more dramatic in women than men, then those need to be addressed. And you can, you can consider some of the reasons are very practical. Women may be older at the time the shock occurs. Uh, they may have smaller vessels or be considered at higher risk for bleeding with large bore mechanical circulatory support devices. But it's a pretty clear when you look at um, the mortality with pressor escalation versus use of mechanical circulatory devices that we really need to look at this um, closer and put some algorithms in place as you suggested today in your lecture. So multi-vessel disease shock, mm -hmm. Dr. Sutton. Oh yeah, got to be more here. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I completely agree with this question about physiology. I think understanding the physiology, not only for women, but especially in the context of, you know, microvascular disease and understanding, you know, better treatments for that, as we kind of alluded to. I think also um, bleeding outcomes, trying to get, you know, better at um, deciding what's our antiplatelet regimen going to be. Is there going to be something that's going to, you know, is there some future treatment where we don't have to give antiplatelets? That would be great, you know, in the inner in the dream world, maybe. Um, I think also when we talk about female patients, we know women live longer, they present later in life because you know, um, they develop coronary disease sometimes later in life than men do. And by that point, they've um, accumulated more comorbidities. Um, so they're just a slightly different patient population and um, along that same vein, older patients. So, um, you know, I think we're, we have a growing population of much older patients and, you know, with the ischemia trial, we're kicking the can further down the road with coronary disease. And I think we are going to end up taking care of more complex disease in our much older patients. Um, you know, certainly new device therapies um, that are safer for older patients are, um, you know, we're going to be keen on because at some point they're going to need some kind of a mechanical fix um, for their symptoms or else they're going to basically face, you know, debilitation and um, in, in limiting themselves from um, activities because of symptoms of angina if they don't have a heart attack. So I think those to me are, are big priorities. I also think, um, just one more, sorry, <laughs> that we need to um, get better as a field at sort of bringing up the minimum standards of how we're taking care of patients and making sure that, you know, um, that we're using imaging appropriately for PCI and making sure that we're identifying when, when needed, you know, um, calcium modification and those kinds of things. Because again, with older patients, more older patients, more female older patients, you know, we are going to have more and more calcified coronary artery disease that we're going to be treating in the cath lab. Yeah, I just wanted to pick up on that on that topic. Um, what is it about forty percent of patients coming to the cath lab now? Would you say, Don, um, have calcified lesions? Um, I think the work that we've done so far with um, IVL lithotripsy has been um, very impressive. I think we're seeing, you know, reduction in, in complications, perforations, et cetera. Um, but I think the question remains as to what is, what is the right approach for calcified lesions? Not every lesion, although, although it would be wonderful to have that as first line, I don't think that's really realistic um, in all the patients. So understanding the best algorithm to, to treat calcified lesions, I think, is, is a big question mark, and that needs to be investigated. Well, you heard it here, folks. We've got, a, we've got our marching orders for the next uh, 10 years and, and they're lofty goals, but I like it. And I think, you know, with the direction our field is going in, I, I, I anticipate we're going to get some answers to some of these questions uh, in the future. I just want to thank uh, everybody for listening. And um, of course, uh, Dr. Abbott, Dr. Lansky and Dr. Sutton for, for being here today. Um, 
We'll talk to you later. We hope you enjoyed listening to that episode. For more information about Shockwave is doing its commitment to female leadership in the PCI space, I encourage you to visit timeforanintervention.com. And for more important safety information regarding Shockwave technology, please visit shockwaveC2ISI.com. Thanks. I look forward to speaking with you again.